hey, as we're talking about reaching out and serving others and caring for others, uh, just being missional people is part of who we are as a fellowship. And so this morning, I want to introduce a friend to you who most of you probably already know. A few of you don't. Uh, but Jeremiah Carlson and I have, some of you guys know him, Jerry was part of the Vancouver Vineyard, led worship and did some other stuff here in the region for a long time, still does. Uh, he's in Boise now, but he's, that's not, you're not in our region, are you? It's a different region. Wow. Boo. I'm going to petition to move Boise back in. But uh, something you might not know is that we have actually been partnering together on a little project for the last couple of years in Nicaragua. Uh, some of you have been to Nicaragua with me. And a couple of years ago, Jeremiah called me up and said, hey, I've got something I'm involved in. I'd like to talk to you about it. And maybe we could partner together. And I listened to him for a while. I said, there's no way, dude, that's not going to work. And he was persistent. And he He was like the persistent widow. He was just hammering me, hammering me, hammering me. And finally, finally, the lights came on. I go, you know what? You're right. This is a great deal, and it will work, and we can do it together. So I don't want to say too much more than that, but I'm going to have uh, Jeremiah come up and share with us this morning, tell us a little bit about what God's doing in his life, and uh, give you an opportunity to get involved. Can I pray for you? Yes. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace here. Just bless Jeremiah as he speaks this morning. Open your word to us that it would penetrate our hearts and bring. Bless the Lord. God's here. Amen. <laughs> Hang on. Check, check. You guys hear me okay? All right. You guys feeling good this morning? Good. Woo, woo. Check, check. You good, bro? Hello, hello talking, using my voice. I have a beautiful voice. At least my mom told me that growing up. Check, check. Is that good? I think we're good. Awesome. How are you guys feeling, Portland Vineyard? Good? Good. I'm glad to be here with you guys this morning. Like Glenn said, my name is Jeremiah. I hail from Boise, Idaho. Not originally, though. I'm originally from Vancouver, Washington, where I served as the youth pastor uh, there for 10 years. And uh, moved to Nashville, gosh, four years ago with my family to pursue uh, a musical career um, and toured a bunch. And then God was like, move to Boise. And we moved to Boise. And we're there right now. Got three beautiful kids. Been married for 14 years. And uh, God is insanely good. He is so good. As a matter of fact, I believe that most of us in this room even those of us in this room that have an understanding of how good God is, even if your mind has been completely blown by the goodness of God, you're barely scratching the surface of his goodness that's aimed at every single one of us in this room right now. So this is what we're going to do this morning. I want you guys just to close your eyes, and I'm going to open up with one of my favorite theologians. It's a classic guy, wrote you guys might know him. His name's Charles Spurgeon. Uh, wrote a devotional, very classic one. A lot of people know it. it's called Morning Evening. And I just want to open up with this because I want you guys just to have this experience and encounter with God this morning that is actually like it's tangible. It's something that you can actually you can actually feel in your heart, and it transforms everything about your life if if you let them. And so I know Glenn already prayed, but I'm just going to pray again. And this is what I want you guys to do. I just want you guys just to kind of Bow your heads, close your eyes, and I'm just going to ask the Lord 
to help us to just empty our minds of like everything going on because the reality is, is most of us on the way here, we're thinking about life and our jobs and our families and just the chaos of the world and, and, and if, our, if our country's falling apart or not. I mean, there's a million and one things that could just be uh, causing turmoil in our hearts and our minds this morning. And we just want God just to clear our hearts and our minds. So why don't you guys just close your eyes with me. And then, and then as, I, as I begin to share this devotional from Charles Spurgeon, I want you to just keep your eyes closed and just to kind of embrace the words that, that are coming. So Lord, um, we, we do thank you for your goodness. And, and I, I pray that the reality of your extravagant goodness would just fall in this place and would fill our hearts and our minds despite what we're going through, God, no matter what season that we're in. Just like we sing this morning, Lord, your love is aimed at us. And so would you allow us, would you allow our minds to be cleared? Would you allow our hearts to be opened? That you would come and you would do an amazing work. And just, just go ahead and keep your eyes closed. And this is what Charles Spurgeon says, and, and, and devotion is coming out of John 1, 16. And this is, and it says, and of his fullness have all of us have received. And these are his words. He says, these words tell us that there is a fullness in Christ there's a fullness of essential deity, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. There's a fullness of perfect manhood, for in him bodily that Godhead was revealed. There's a fullness of atoning efficiency in his blood, for the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. There's a fullness of justifying righteousness in his life, for there's now no condemnation in those who are found in Christ Jesus. There is a fullness of divine prevalence in his plea for us, for he is able to save to the uttermost of them that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. There is a fullness of victory in his death, for through death he destroyed him that had the power over death, that is the devil. There is a fullness of efficiency in his resurrection from the dead, for by it we are begotten again into a lively hope. There's a fullness of triumph in his ascension, for when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and received gifts from men. There's a fullness of blessing of every sort and shape, a fullness of grace to pardon you, of grace to regenerate you, of grace to sanctify you, of grace to preserve you, and a grace to perfect you. There's a fullness at all times, a fullness of comfort and affliction, a fullness of guidance and prosperity, a fullness of every divine attribute of wisdom, of power, of love. Love, a fullness which, if it were impossible to survey, much less to explore. It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Oh, what a fullness must this be of which all of us have received. Fullness indeed must there be when the stream is always flowing, and yet the wellspring is up as free, as rich, as full as ever. Come then, believer, and get all that you need. Ask largely, and you shall receive largely, for this fullness is inexhaustible and is treasured up where all the needy may reach it, in Christ Jesus, Emmanuel, who is God with us. You can open your eyes. There's a fullness, there's a resource that is at our disposal at all times. But in an ever-changing world where there's fear, war, sickness, and inconsistencies, these, these things are constant. What sets us as followers of Christ apart from the rest of the world in such things is walking in the reality that God is abundantly good. And because we understand this reality, that there's a joy that can fill our hearts and that when we understand this joy, we then become conduits of his love, his joy, his peace, and his hope for the sake of others. 
Therefore, following Jesus is not denying our current reality is broken. It's never about denial. But in the midst of that, embracing and, and receiving a greater reality that far surpasses our circumstances. And that reality is this, that God is extravagantly good, and because of this, his joy is for not just your sake, but it's for the sake of others. And this joy is available to us at, at, at all times, but having access to this joy, it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. Let me give you guys an example. Like, how many of you guys, by show of hands, have just, like, you've, you've ever had just a rough season in life? Are everybody good? We're human beings. Great, right? I have, to, I have to say, you guys, I don't have time to go into it. This last year has probably been one of the roughest seasons of my life. Um, it's, it's been hard for many reasons, a lot of health reasons and all kinds of stuff. But we've all been through them. Well, let's say you're going through one of these rough seasons. And I don't know about you guys, but one of my favorite things to do when life just seems like it's getting you down and uh, you know, just, it's just you're in the thick of it, you know, my favorite thing to do is just to just pray like 24-7. And, you know, when I do that, I begin to levitate because I'm super spiritual. That's what I, that's, I'm just joking. That's what I do. I go to bed. That's what I do. I sleep. A lot of us do that, right? Like it's our sanctuary. Like our bed is our sanctuary. Okay, so humor me here. Like let's imagine you're going through one of these seasons and like you just want to sleep. And like my bedroom's my sanctuary, and like under my covers, it's like no one can get to me. Leave me alone, please. And let's imagine that you're in this season, and all of a sudden you hear like a knock on the door. Someone's knocking on the door. And if you're anything like me, you'd be like, it better not be the Jehovah's Witnesses. Like, I'm gonna go nuts. Like, I'm gonna go nuts. Who is who is knocking on my door? And it keeps going, and they're knocking, and you're literally like, I'm seriously about to commit murder. This is bad. I'm just being real with you guys. Right? So finally, like, okay, I'm gonna, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna figure out what's going on. So you get out of your bed, and you're walking to the door, and you're just fuming mad because, like, everything is against you right now, and this, whoever's knocking on your door, they're, they're trying to rip away your peace on purpose, and you open up the door, and all you see is multicolored balloons and a giant check with lots of zeros and your name on it, Instantly, your perspective changes. Instantly. Yeah, not so bad. Celebration time. Because things just change because now you have a new perspective that there's actually some greater resource out there for your benefit. May I submit to you that God has much more of an abundance for us than any check with as many zeros as you could have fit on it. It's for you, it's for me, and it's for the sake of all people. And when everybody, the whole world all around us, when, when all they see is chaos, God invites us by faith to see things differently. And this is not about like personality traits. I'm not talking about people. Well, that's easy for you to say, Jeremiah. You're, you're obviously, you're kind of loud and flamboyant. You must be like, you know, an extrovert, and you're a glass half full type of guy. It's not about a glass half full versus a half glass empty, but it's about a reality where we stand under the, the rulership of Jesus, and we realize that he is pouring out so abundantly. It doesn't matter your personality. It's, it's about a glass overflowing with his goodness for the sake of others. So it doesn't matter what your personality is. 
And throughout Scripture, we see God's people who chose to have access to this greater reality. It's all throughout Scripture. And Psalm 107, and let me explain. Most of you guys know who, who King David was. This, this happens in a time, the psalm takes t- place, where David is in, in the thick of just being on, on the run for his life. I mean, he's going through all of these different things. Like, he spent basically most of his life running for his life. Like, that's not an exciting life. I don't know about you guys if you just had people ever just chasing after you, trying to murder you at all times. Well, that was David's reality a lot of his life. And this is what he says in Psalm 107. He says this. He says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. For they were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. And this is what I want you to listen to. For he satisfies the thirsty, and he fills the hungry with good things. This morning, are you, are you, are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Does your heart long for, for the deeper things? Maybe you've been just looking for those things in, in all the wrong places. Now, Jesus, he tells his disciples this. You know, there's this one time, you know, Jesus, obviously, he's, he's doing his great ministry and healing lots of people. And obviously, if you guys study the Gospels, you realize really quick that his disciples, like many of us, you know, like we're, we're, we're not the smartest people alive. And so they go up to Jesus, and they just never learned, it seems, when you're studying the Gospels, and you, and you read, and you kind of understand their personality traits. And they run up to Jesus, and they're like, you know, Rabbi, you need something to eat. And so this is, this is kind of where it takes place in John 4, 31. It says, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone else have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And Jesus, all the time through Scripture, said, if you just open your eyes and you open your ears, I'll let you begin to understand something that you've never been fully able to understand. There's a different way of seeing life. It's a supernatural way that you can't see with your natural eyes. You have to let me come and give you eyes to see. But a lot of times we neglect to taste and see how good the Lord is. We neglect to see it. Well, I have three kids, like I said earlier. My second born, her name's Loveland. She turns five here in, in the next couple weeks. Loveland is, is, she totally lives up to her, her name. She is the most, probably one of the most loving kids that, that I have, one of the most loving kids I've ever seen. If you hang out with her, at first she'll be a little coy, but hang out with her for five minutes, she'll, she'll be jumping all over you and hugging you and just loving on you. But here's the deal about Loveland. Her love towards you is all on her terms. Like, you, you, you can't make her love you. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm, Completely expecting when I get home, I've been gone for 12 days. I've been preaching up uh, in northern Washington, 
at a youth camp, and I miss my kids like crazy, and my heart literally, even right now, it feels like there's a knife in my heart. I'm like, what's going on? My kids, I haven't seen them 12, 12 days. So when I get home, like I'm going to bum rush them, I'm going to kiss them all over the face, and I'm going to be like, I'm here, daddy's home. And I promise you, Loveland, if she's not feeling it, she's not feeling it. She'd care less. It's like, Dad, hold on. SpongeBob SquarePants is on. After this is over, then I'll give you a kiss. That's how she is. She's always been that way. It's always been on her terms. And I remember this time, you know, one of those exciting moments as a parent, like when your kids are transitioning to solid foods, like I love that time of parenthood, you know, because they go from like just drinking milk and you like want to show them new things. And sometimes you trick them with like, you know, sour stuff. And so they make cute faces like, here's a dill pickle. You're going to love it. And like, it's hilarious. And you get it on YouTube. It's great. It's what you do as parents. You torture your kids. Anyhow, at this one point, I wanted to show her like one of the best things in the world, one of my favorite things in the world that actually, because I'm on a super strict diet, I can't eat much anymore. My favorite thing in the world is waffles. Oh, is anybody in here like waffles? Like, have you guys ever been to the waffle window here in Portland? Yeah, kind of the best place on earth. Yeah, waffles, right? And so I'm really excited, and I'm just like, all right, it's time to introduce my daughter Loveland to waffles. So it's breakfast time. I got her in her high chair. You know, I, I put the, the egos in the toaster. I pull them out. I get the like, I get the really bad syrup, like not the natural kind that costs like $20 for like that much syrup, but like the, the stuff that costs a nickel that's made of pure corn syrup because I'm a good parent. So I grab that and I dump it all over the waffles and I give it to Loveland and I'm like, here it is. Like it's like, it's literally gold in your mouth. Like, here you go. And I kid you not, she looks at me, and she pushes the plate aside, and she says, no. And I was like, excuse me? Do you realize the heavenly just abundance I have just provided for you? No. It's like, all right, I understand you, Loveland. I'm just going to back off, because she's got to come to you know, her own terms and figure this out for herself. So I kind of walk around the corner. And Loveland, she like kind of looks at the waffles. She looks around and makes sure no one's looking. She grabs the plate. She grabs a piece of this waffle. She puts it in her mouth. And instantly, like crack cocaine, she's addicted. Boom, stuff in her face, full of waffles. And as soon as she's done, guess what she said? She said, more waffles, daddy, more waffles. Like she, she tasted and she saw that it was so good. And she wanted more, right? That's like us. Like, we neglect the goodness of God that's aimed at us all the time. But the Bible says if you just taste and you see that he is good, you'll understand this. You know, Jesus is saying here to the disciples, he says, like, this bread that I'm eating, this food that that I'm getting filled from, It's simply delighting and walking in the goodness of the Father, which is to do his will of seeing this harvest that you guys can't see. Like, that's what what fills your heart. That's the type of food that you've been looking for. When we wake up every morning, my question is this, do do we choose to receive the goodness and the blessing of God's presence that's so clearly around us? Do we do that? Or do we just wake up and then we're just consumed? We're just consumed. Like, does your morning look like this? This is how a lot of people's mornings look like. Like, they wake up. (sighs) 
news, 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 Trump's an idiot, the world's going to war, and hell in a handbasket, everything sucks, blah, 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 and you get out of bed and you're wondering why you're so filled with anxiety. Like, why am I depressed all the time? Well, I don't know. Maybe because you're filling your heart and your head with garbage nonstop. Or do you wake up and do you give God just a second and say, God, this morning, this is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it because you are good. And despite everything else that's going around the world and even in my own life that might be falling apart, I know this true thing. You are good and you love me and your plans for me are good, and I might not understand all of them, but I know that you are good. And so I receive the abundance of your goodness. I promise you, if that becomes your heart posture, things change dramatically. They do. They change dramatically. And like Romans eight thirty one, we begin to see the reality that if Christ is for us, nothing, no circumstance, nothing, n- nobody that's against you, nothing can be against you. Or as Philippians says, this is what Paul says, that in Christ we can do all things because he's the one that strengthens us. Throughout Scripture, we can't escape the reality that even in the midst of hardship or suffering our access to be filled with God's goodness and his peace and his hope and his joy and then to become conduits of his redeeming kingdom reality to others. Uh, it's, in most cases, it's usually the rule and not the exception. Like in most cases, one of my favorite stories is in Acts 16. And it's the story of Paul and his companion Silas. And I'll kind of preface the story a little bit. Paul and Silas, you know, they're out doing the the work of, of God, you know, being faithful to the call. And they're traveling around preaching the gospel from city to city. And all of a sudden, this, it says that this girl comes up and this, this little girl has the ability to tell fortunes. And so she's, she's behind him. It says that she's demon oppressed. And so she's, she's falling everywhere they go, and she's causing a ruckus, causing just a big disturbance. And eventually, Paul gets really annoyed at this. And so he turns around, and he looks at the girl, and he, he literally looks at her and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I cast you out, the demon that was afflicting her. And, and she was healed, completely healed. The problem was, is after she got healed, she was unable to tell fortunes. And so this girl, she actually had these like, these like masters over her that were making money off of her gift. And so they kind of got upset at this. So they cause a big ruckus. They stir a crowd. They start spreading rumors and lies about Paul and Silas. And they get these people all riled up. And they literally, they, they approach Paul and Silas and they beat them and they flog them and they throw them in prison. Not a bad day of ministry, is it? That sounds pretty exciting. I don't know about you guys, like, Whenever I go to the church office, like the least thing that's I think is going to happen is like, hey, good morning, babe, going to the office. I go to church on my way from my car to my office. Uh, a, a wild crowd of people come and they beat me up and they throw me in prison. Like that's never happened before. It's never happened. But this is like, this is happening all the time to the disciples. This is, a, this is what's happening to Paul and Silas, faithfully serving the Lord and in return, they get beaten and flogged and thrown in prison. Doesn't seem like a very exciting life. But this is what happens when you choose a kingdom reality over your circumstances. In Acts 16, this is, this is what takes place. It says this, so they're in prison, and it says, At midnight, Paul and Silas, after being beaten all this stuff, they were praying and singing hymns to God. 
That's how they respond. Like, I just got beat and flogged. I'm in a prison, and now I'm going to worship God. Thank you. You're so good. And because of this, the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone in chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. I don't know about you guys. That seems kind of like a dumb decision. Like, if I was in prison and had been beaten and flogged and was in chains, and all of a sudden the earth shook after I had been worshiping God, and the chains came loose, and the doors opened up, and the prison guard was pulling out his sword to kill himself, I would have been like, see you later, buddy, and I would have beelined it out of there. That's what I would have done. Not Paul. He literally was like, don't kill yourself. I've convinced everybody to stay. That's smart. Why? Because Paul had access to something greater than what he was experiencing at that moment. He had access to the power of the Holy Spirit, the knowledge that God was about to do something greater than he even even probably thought possible. And so this is what happens. He says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. So the jailer called for the lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Like, what must I do to be saved? How did he know he even needed to be saved? Might I submit to you that maybe he overheard the prayers of Paul and Silas? That God would do something extraordinary through this really horrible circumstance. That he heard their songs of salvation sung to the Lord. And because of that, he knew he needed someone to save him. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the, Lord, the, the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at the hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed all their wounds. Then immediately he and, and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a mill before them. Here's the best part. And he was now filled with the same joy that they had. He was filled with joy. Because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Here's some food for thought. If you guys have ever read the story, what happens to the jailer? The prisoners eventually, they, they left. He was going to kill himself because he knew that to have the prisoners escape, it was better for him to kill himself than what the authorities would have done to him if he would have let the prisoners escape. The Bible doesn't say, but possibly, possibly he was killed. He knew what he was doing would put his life and maybe even his family's life in danger. Yet, 
he was filled with joy. I guarantee you there's some of you right now that are just going through the thick of it. And it's no fun, trust me. About, gosh, a year ago, we moved to Boise, Idaho, and uh, from Nashville. And as soon as we get there, a month into it, um, we go to the water park with my family. And uh, like as we're leaving the water park, I'm pushing my little son in the stroller, and I start veering to the left for some reason. And I'm like, what's going on? And I thought maybe that I just stood up too quick. And by the time we got to the car, the world was spinning so fast I literally felt like I was going on a merry-go-round, like going like a thousand miles an hour. And when you're on a merry-go-round going a thousand miles an hour, you basically throw up nonstop. And it was probably one of the worst feelings I've ever had. We go, we go to the hospital, and they're like, "What's they maybe I had heat stroke, blah, blah, blah. They couldn't figure it out. Uh, long story short, I'm in bed for three weeks straight. Can't, can't really move. I'm just dizzy as all get out. Um, eventually, I got, I got on some antibiotics, and, and, then, and then it went away. It's, it's vertigo. Didn't know why. About four months later, um, actually longer than that, back in January, I'm preaching at my daughter's chapel. Um, she, there's, a, there's a private Christian school at, at the Vineyard Boise, and she, she went to it. And so I'm preaching at the chapel, and uh, it so happened I was preaching on how God wants to use kids to, like, heal other people and how there's no such thing as junior Holy Spirit. Everyone gets the same Holy Spirit. So I'm preaching, and then at the end, I planned on like finding something. Does anyone here need to be healed? And I was going to have them come up and like have the kids lay hands on them and see, you know, see what the Lord does. Well, I had no clue that I was going to get the, be the guinea pig that morning. So I'm preaching in the middle of my message, and all of a sudden, the room starts going, and I'm like, oh, crap. I'm going to start throwing up all over these kids. It's going to be horrible. So I literally, I sit down, I put the microphone down, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, kids. I'm having a Virgo attack, and all their parents are there. And I'm like, all, in my mind, I'm just like so embarrassed, right? And so all the kids come up, and they, they lay hands on me. And my oldest daughter, Emberlyn, I, I'm going to brag on her for just a second because I have the microphone. So Emberlyn comes up, and she lays hands on me, and she's traveled with me, and she's seen us pray for people, and she's literally seen people healed and stuff like that. And she lays hands on me. And uh, this is how she prays. It's so funny. She goes, dear Jesus, we just pray for, for daddy to, to feel better. And in the name of Jesus, vertigo be gone. That's exactly how it went. Something came over and, and I was healed. Like the vertigo went boop. And I was like, yeah. Then I went and bought her a popsicle. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. But I was like, this is awesome. Two months later, waking up, my wife's like, hey, let's go out to breakfast. It was a day off. I was like, yes, this is going to be so rad. We love taking our kids out to breakfast. And uh, turn to the side, and I get hit with, like, the worst vertigo attack I've, I've, I got hit by. And I, I was in bed. I'll spare you the details, but I was in, I was in bed for, for six weeks. Could barely move. It was absolutely miserable. So I start to finally get better. And, um, and, and my wife, like, we, we go out to the dinner, and I'm still, I'm still getting over this vertigo thing. I actually, I'm still actually getting over it. I'm still dizzy. Um, so we go out to eat, and we're, we get done eating, and my wife's like, hey, my whole face just went numb. 
and now my arms are going numb, and my legs are tingling and going numb. I don't know about you guys, like, I can have vertigo as long as my wife's okay. Like, everything's going to be great. Like, she's my rock. All of a sudden, my wife's not doing so well, and I'm still not feeling good. What the heck is going on? So we go and run the gamut of tests. They thought that she had a, at first they were like, she's either got a brain tumor or she has MS, which is two, two things you never want to hear uh, in regards to your spouse being sick with something like, like that. And I am just stressed out of my mind, and all this stuff is going on. And guys, I've had seasons like this. I've had really hard seasons in my life. This one's been really hard. And I'm going through all of this, and this happens to my wife, and the next day I'm supposed to fly out to a youth conference to preach. And I'm like, I can't go. I'm not going. There's no way I'm going. And we, and we wake up the next morning, and we still don't know what's wrong with my wife. But, and, and I'm looking at my wife, and I have two hours before I'm supposed to be on the plane, and I had decided I'm not going. And my wife looks at me, and she says, Jeremiah, you need to go because these kids need you. And I'm like, first off, you're so hot, and you're awesome. So I get on the plane, get a call as soon as I touch down, and she's like, hey, guess what? Had to take Valor to the doctor. He's got pneumonia. Like, couldn't he get any better? Praise God. And I go to this youth conference, and guess what? The Spirit of God just destroyed the place, just wrecked the place in the best way possible. Kids coming to the Lord, people being healed, because God's good, despite our circumstances. John 15, 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and he even goes on to say, like, and my father prunes me, and sometimes he's going to prune you, and pruning is never a fun process. But he does this so that you'll bear more fruit. And I remember one time I was reading the scripture, and I got this vision. And in the vision, like, I, I saw a tree, like my life as a tree, and I saw this fruit that was, was coming. And you guys, like, how many of you guys have ever had, like, fruit, fruit, like uh, fruit trees? Like, anybody? Yeah, we used to have an apple tree in our backyard. Yeah, we used to have a plum tree in my other yard. You know what happens um, with uh, those trees with, like, when fruit starts to come, like the best thing to do is to go up to those trees and grab the fruit and eat it, right? So those, fr- those, those fruit trees exist for the sake of others, that people can delight in that fruit. Have you guys ever been like in the middle of a forest and you found like a fruit tree? I have, and nobody knows about that fruit. Guess what happens to the fruit? It just falls on the ground and, and it's gross, just smushed, doesn't smell good. We used to have an apple tree in our backyard. My parents made me us clean up. My mom's here tonight, so I'm not going to make her feel bad. But she'd be like, go, go clean up the apples. And it was just like the worst chore, you know. When we bear fruit, it's for the sake of others. But we were meant to bear fruit. But sometimes the only way we can bear fruit is we let God come in and start to cut out stuff. Maybe we thought we didn't need to be cut out, but it needed to that we can be the type of people he's called us to be. When God pours out his goodness into our hearts, his desire 
is to stir up our hearts for the sake of others. When you read Scripture, there's nothing more clear than that. Glenn was talking a little bit earlier um, about a project that him and I have been working on. And um, he's talking about, um, you know, I I first went to Nicaragua, uh, holy smokes, 11 years ago. Actually, I should know, 12 years ago, because when we got back from Nicaragua, we found out my wife was pregnant. It's kind of a running joke. Anyhow, the boys and girls were separated. They're like, how did that happen? Well, Nicaragua was a big place. Anyhow, you guys are like, I can't believe this is church. Um, So, 11 years, 12 years ago, went to Nicaragua, and it was awesome, and um, fell in love with the country, and fell in love with um, the Lavinia Church down there, and back then, I believe it was maybe one or maybe two churches, and now it's grown, um, and there's a man down there, and I'm sure most of you guys might know Eugenio. He's an amazing man of God. He's done amazing things, and about five years ago, the Lord put it on my heart um, through an organization that I had partnered with called One Child Matters um, to see if there could be a kind of like a partnership between One Child Matters and our, our Lavinia church plants in Nicaragua. Um, and, and basically their heart and their, their desire is they go into um, developing countries, to local churches, and they resource them and they train them and they give them the tools that they need to reach their neighborhoods for Jesus, the children in the neighborhoods for Jesus. And so what they do is they have these programs that they put on, and they call them child development centers. And then these child development centers, the kids either get tutoring or some of them get full schooling. Um, they, they get medical help. They get nutritional help. And really what it is, it's this organization empowering the local church to have a radical impact on their neighborhood. And so I met with Glenn, and like he said, the first time I talked to him about it, he was like, yeah, it sounds kind of cool, and, you know, like, you know, obviously things take time to develop, but through um, just years of kind of just growing together, uh, we took a trip down there, um, gosh, it was a little over a year ago, I believe now, and to see some training happening, and we launched our first child development center in one of our church plants in, in Tipitapa in um, Nagua. And now we have kids who are coming to this project who basically, without this project, um, some of them, this is like their only meal that they get during the day. Some of them, this is kind of their, this is like what subsidizes their education. It's their only chance of getting medical help. For a lot of them, it's the only way that they're ever going to hear the gospel. But God's doing an amazing work down in Nicaragua. And what I've been seeing down there is just, it's, it's nothing short of a miracle. Um, I'll tell you guys a quick story, um, and then, and then we're, we're going to pray, because I believe that you guys, you guys just need to be filled with that reality, the radical goodness of God just to come and fill your heart. And some of you guys, like I said, you might be going through, and you just need the Lord to come and minister into those areas. My first trip with this organization, we went down to Honduras, um, which is a neighbor to Nicaragua, and we went and visited some of these children's homes. Um, one of the things that they require that the families, before they enlist, uh, or not enlist, but enroll their children in these projects, is they have to have the ability to come to the homes and talk to the families 
And that's one of the ways that, like, we're seeing entire families, not just kids come to know Jesus, but entire families through this project. And so we go to, we go to this one home, and there's this little girl. And I remember we get there, and at the time it was me and one of my bandmates. And we get there, and this girl, she's so excited to show us, like, her, it was pretty much through our interpreter, it was like, I want to show you, like, my prized possession. Like, you know, like when kids after Christmas, you know, you go over and they're like, look what I got for Christmas, you know? And we go into her humble little home, which was basically just like a tin shack um, with dirt floors, and it was two rooms, and one of, one of the beds she shared with, like, two or three of her siblings, and so, we, she, so she, she calls us back to her room, and we go back to the room, and she pulls out, like, she, she goes under her bed, and she pulls out a PS4, and she's like, do you want to play video games? That's not what she pulled out. That's what happens in this, this country. What she pulled out? She pulled out a shoebox, and she put it on her bed, and she opened the shoebox, and the shoebox was full of letters from her sponsor parents. And I kid you not, she picked up the letters, put them on her face, and started caressing them as if they're like gold. Because in those letters spoke to her hope and joy and peace, and that her circumstances did not define her identity and the potential of what God wanted to do in her heart. And she had stickers. I don't give my kids stickers. They put them all over the place. Like, it's the worst. I don't know if you guys ever give kids stickers. Don't do it. Every time we go to the grocery store and they're like, kids want stickers? I'm like, I want to punch you in the face. Like, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna put it in my car and ruin my car. Like, she had stickers, and they hadn't been opened yet. Because that's how precious they were to her. It was almost like it was almost like the first issue of Superman comics to her, but it was stickers that maybe cost 50 cents at the dollar store. And she took the stickers and she caressed the stickers on her face. Those were her most prized possessions. Um, this morning, we have an opportunity to not only be filled with the goodness of God, but we can become conduits of that goodness. And many of you guys are serving in many ways, and I think that's amazing. And maybe, maybe even some of you guys in here, you, you sponsor kids through other organizations like World Vision or Compassion International, stuff like that. I think those are all valid and amazing organizations. Um, here is another opportunity um, to literally change a life. But what's cool about this opportunity is that this project is directly linked to this church and to the other vineyard churches. And when you guys go on mission trips and stuff like that to Nicaragua, you can actually see um, your sponsor kid. And this kid is Josette, and he's a pretty sweet kid. And the, up there right now is a picture, and you can kind of barely see it. That's fine. David Krim, he, uh, he's in Alabama, and he's one of our, one of our friends, and he, he went down there with us. But he's actually, I, I literally just got this picture from him uh, yesterday, and him and his team um, from, uh, what's Bubba Justice Church name? Yeah, uh, the, the Vineyard Church uh, down there in Alabama. Is it Inverness? Okay, Inverness. Um, they're, right now, as we speak, they're on a mission trip in Nicaragua, and that is the project at Tipitapa. They meet in a humble 
um, kind of just an open space with like a, a tin shed. But they, they have like over 75 kids that are coming to this project. And that's their kid that they sponsor. And I, and I promise you that they're speaking life and destiny and hope to that little boy's heart. And I promise you, it will change his life. So this is what we're going to do. Why don't you guys stand with me? Hopefully I didn't go over. Are we okay on time here, Glenn? Okay, sorry. We're going to do this quick. Um, in the back, we have, um, we have these packets um, with children. These are real children in these projects. Um, if this is something that the Lord is, is burning on your heart, it's, it's a financial commitment. It's $39 a month. I know that might sound steep to some of you guys. I'm telling you, I sponsor two kids on a pastor's salary. It's completely worth it. There's nothing better than investing in these kids. Just something that you guys want to do. Glenn knows the details. You guys can go back there. Um, fill these things out. We'll take this slip. We'll give this to you. Um, one of the things I just have to say before, before we pray and we close is please don't take a packet and, and run off with it. We call that kidnapping the children because sometimes people do that and they're like, I think I want to do it, but let me pray about it. And let me, let me save you a prayer. If you pray about it, Jesus will say yes. I promise you. He's not going to be like, no, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't support these kids. He's going to say yes, okay? Don't kidnap the kids because if you decide not to sponsor them, then they get lost in the system, and it's months before we get new packets out. So this is what we're going to do. Guys, we're going to close this way. Put out your hands like this, the sign of receiving from the Lord. And I'm just going to pray a simple prayer of blessing over you this morning. And if you guys need prayer, Glenn, how do you guys, do you guys like a ministry team usually? or? Okay, so we got ministry team people. If you guys need people to pray this over you, I'm just going to pray over you right now.